Good morning, everyone. Uh, it is a pleasure to be back here again with you guys this morning. I, I guess they asked the deacon of finance to speak anytime we got to talk about a building fund or uh, anything that has to do with money. Uh, but uh, today we are not going to be talking about the funds. Uh, instead, we are going to be continuing our sermon series on uh, the parables of Jesus, everyday stories with eternal truths. Our text is Luke 15, 1 through 10, and it is the beginning of a trilogy of parables that shows God's redemptive love. And while we won't be covering all three of the parables in the trilogy today, I know that some of you grandparents are are grateful for that so that you can get out here early. Um, We will be discussing the first two, the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Now, as you may remember from Mark's sermon on the origin of parables, these short stories were told for specific purposes. And we're meant to speak to the crowd who were around Jesus at that time in a new and relatable way. In the crowd from our text today, we find Jesus speaking to what would have been an unlikely crew. We see two distinct groups made up of the sinners or tax collectors and a group of the religious elites known as the Pharisees and scribes. Both groups surround Jesus for different reasons. The tax collectors and sinners are humbly seeking someone to love them unconditionally. And in contrast, the Pharisees and the scribes are there to hear what Jesus has to say with the ultimate goal of trapping him in some theological fallacy. So to set the scene of what's going to take place in our scripture, when, we, when the Pharisees and scribes arrive, they realize that they won't be able to have their theological sparring session with Jesus in secret as they had hoped. You see, the size of the crowd was preventing them from being able to get close enough to Jesus to have this debate back and forth. So frustrated, they stand off to the side, complaining to one another. And as they are complaining, the crowd around them starts to grow. And so they start to look around, and they they begin speaking back and forth to each other. And as they start talking back and forth, they realize who they are surrounded by. You see, these men who were viewed to be of high moral conduct were suddenly becoming encircled around people of ill repute. Thus, as they continue to grow, the Pharisees and scribes start to talk about the distinct makeup of the crowd. Perhaps that conversation went something like this. Hey, isn't that Simon over there, the tax collector? He usually sits at the city gate. Hey, you know what? I think you're right. And isn't that Mary the prostitute right there? Look, over there. Isn't that Jacob who was just in the temple sacrificing doves because he was cheating on his wife? Oh, and look, what do you know? There's there's Esther over there who just got caught lying to Sarah. You see, it's this behavior in their loud voices that would have become a distraction to those around them as they realize that they are ultimately talking about them. So uncomfortably, those sinners and tax collectors start to hide their identity in the crowd and back away from Jesus. So sensing the tension and hearing the harsh words of the Pharisees and the scribes, Jesus decides to address what is happening. So let's look at our text to see how Jesus handles this delicate situation. So if you will, please turn in your Bibles to Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the passage will be on the screen for you, and we would love to give you one at the back table after the service. If you are able to, I hope that you will please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one he has lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
And, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let us pray. Father, open our hearts, ears, and eyes to the eternal truths that you communicate through parables. May we see these stories through the lenses of your gospel, realizing that everyone, that everyone has both value and worth, and that you have a purpose for each of our lives. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, earlier I mentioned to you that these two parables we are studying today are part of a trilogy. So when we look at these stories, we have to remember their context and realize that they're not being told separately, but in conjunction with one another. Thus, while they may have different characters and different scenarios, they all point to the same message, God's redemptive love. To help illustrate this, I want you to think of these parables as one of the great cinematic trilogies. Whether that be the Lord of the Rings, the Batman series, Indiana Jones, and of course I'm obviously excluding Kingdom of of the Crystal Skull because that one didn't count. Back to the Future, or quite possibly the greatest trilogy of all time, Star Wars. Now if you've ever seen Star Wars, you know that every movie always begins with its famous crawl. Starting with something like this, a long time ago in a desert far, far away. Then to that iconic theme song, big letters pop on the screen showing the title of the movie series. In our case, it would read, The Parables of Jesus. Then the famous crawl would start rising from the bottom of the screen and would read something like this, episodes one through three, The Parables of the Lost. Now this subtitle would be followed by the intro we just covered in verses one through three to set the scene. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Then the movie would start, or in our case, we would begin with episode 1, the parable of the lost sheep, to be followed by episode 2, the parable of the lost coin, which would then be followed by episode 3, the parable of the prodigal son, which Mark will cover next week. Some of you guys may watch all the originals in order on Star Wars Day, which is coming up here in a here in a few weeks. Now, while this may seem like a silly way of beginning our discussion of the text, I think it is crucial to understanding that the previous chapters and the first three verses of of our text all culminate in the telling of these three parables, which are all interconnected. You see, it is Jesus's intention and hope that by telling these three parables, the crowd around him will recognize that regardless of their background or the piety that they may outwardly display in their lives, He has a desire for every person to know that they are being pursued. That each of them has, that each and every person has worth. And that no matter what they do, where they have gone, or how far they have strayed, each of them can be redeemed. In fact, those three statements lay the foundation for where we are heading with today's message. For Jesus wants each individual in this room to know that you are pursued, you have worth, and you can be redeemed. Now, as we start to examine each parable individually, I want us to take note of the duality of each story based upon who is hearing it. 
For the tax collectors and sinners who would have heard these stories, they would have instinctively identified with either the lost sheep or the lost coin or with the person searching for the lost sheep or the lost coin. While at the same time, the Pharisees and the scribes who would have heard these stories would have had their minds taken back to select passages of the Hebrew Bible, also called the Tanakh. Those passages would have been ones that they had spent countless hours studying and committing to memory. Thus, I believe that Jesus is choosing to use these three parables with the intention of speaking to both crowds, giving them everyday stories that carried eternal truths that they could understand in their own way. With this in mind, let's get started with the first episode in our trilogy for today. Episode one, the parable of the lost sheep. Let's look back at verses three through seven. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that he has lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, to understand this story, we must first understand the relationship that shepherds have with their sheep. For the majority of our lives, most of us have been told that sheep are dumb and unintelligent animals. And to a certain extent, that is true. Unless placed in a pen or closely watched by a shepherd, sheep will wander off. They will fall down the sides of cliffs. They will get caught in thickets. And they will allow themselves to get caught up in terrible situations that could lead to their death. But while sheep might not necessarily be the sharpest crayons in the box, any good shepherd, especially those from ancient times, would tell you that they are not unintelligent. In fact, these animals have high emotional intelligences. To prove this point, here are three true statements about shepherds that you may not know. First, sheep are incredibly caring and form deep bonds with their young. Second, they have impressive cognitive ability, just like humans, and form deep and lasting bonds with one another. They will stick up for one another in fights and even mourn the loss of their friends. And third, they have sharp memories and are able to recognize the voices and images of up to 50 different sheep or humans. They keep these lasting memories in their minds for years at a time. So when in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep, he is using imagery that would have been familiar to those in the crowd. They had all seen shepherds in the fields and watched them guide their sheep through the streets of the cities and villages. They know the deep bonds that sheep have with their shepherds. They know that sheep recognize the faces of their shepherds. They have seen sheep obey their shepherds' commands because they know the sound of their voices. And they know that when sheep trust their she- and they know that sheep trust their shepherds implicitly. Conversely, the, the crowd also knows that shepherds know each of their sheep in their flock. After all, they would have been there when most of those sheep were born. They would have carried them on their backs when they were young or injured, and they would have slept with them in the fields to keep them out of danger. And they would have even guided them every day to safety with the sound of their voices. That is why Jesus chooses the relationship between sheep and shepherds to demonstrate his point in this passage. You see, the crowd understands what happens when a sheep goes missing. They've seen the instinctive nature of shepherds and their flocks to know when one of their number is no longer with them. They know how shepherds would have reacted. 
After counting his sheep and finding one missing, the shepherd would have set off immediately to search for the missing sheep. Checking the sides of cliffs, the crevices between the rocks, inside caves and down ravines, the shepherd would have searched for a hoof print in the dirt or listened for the cries of the sheep so that he could find where the sheep had wandered off to. And as he searches, he calls out for the sheep, possibly even by name, giving it the commands that the sheep is familiar with, trying to coax it back to the safety of his care. And when he finds the missing sheep, the sheep begins to baa with excitement, and the shepherds start to cheer along with it, for that which was lost has now been found. He would have then placed the sheep on his shoulders and returned it to the safety of the pack, where the entire flock and the rest of the shepherds could have joined in his jubilation. Their joy would have been so infectious and so loud that the entire countryside would have echoed with them. In telling this story, Jesus is demonstrating that no matter where those in the crowd have wandered off to, be it sexual promiscuity, thievery, lying, or any number of other sins, they are being diligently pursued by the great shepherd. That shepherd, like the one in the parable, knows his flock by name and wants them all home with him. This parable is also a reminder to the Pharisees and the scribes of a biblical passage they are familiar with from their studies, but it is one that they most likely have neglected. Found in Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 2 through 16, this is what that passage says. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of their flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for their flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them. From, from, teaching, from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and in the ravines and in all the settlements of the land. And I will tend them in a good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. For I myself will tend for my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd my flock with justice. You see, by telling this this parable of the lost sheep, which has almost identical imagery to this Ezekiel passage, 
as we just read. Jesus is drawing a connection for the Pharisees and the scribes to see that in their piety and arrogance, they have not led their people to the repentance and care of the great shepherd that he so desires and provides. They have acted like neglectful overseers and thus condemning themselves by their actions. This is a warning not only to the Pharisees and the scribes, but to us also today. For this is not the heartbeat of our God. No, our God is a God of mercy and justice. He will take care of his people, diligently and passionately pursuing them when they have wandered off and celebrating with them when they find their way home. And at the same time, he calls us to the same standard as well. For we as his church have been called to search for the lost and the hurting around us, lovingly caring for them and providing a safe place where they can find repentance, healing, and restoration. And once that happens, we can join the angels in heaven and rejoicing over that lost soul, which has now been found. But he doesn't stop with this story. He continues on with episode two, the parable of the lost coin. Let's look back at our text, verses 8 through 10. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and diligently sleep or, and diligently seek until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repeats. Sorry, y'all, I had to take a drink there. I was getting too caught in mouth. Um, like the first parable, in order to understand the story, we must first have a basic grasp of some of the rituals and traditions that surround Jewish betrothals and weddings. Now, as many of you may know, Jewish weddings were usually arranged by the fathers of both the bride and the groom when they would have been very young. These arrangements would start the betrothal or engagement process and would have been formalized in a legal document known as a ketubah, which would have explained both the rights and the responsibilities of the groom in relation to the bride. It is important to note that these agreements were entered into prior to the wedding and were as binding as if they were actually married. Thus, if either side wished to break the betrothal, they would have been required to get a divorce. We see this in the case of Mary and Joseph. When Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant, he considered divorcing her quietly to protect her reputation. It was only after he was visited by an angel at night that he decided to continue with their betrothal, and they were formally married after the birth of Jesus, as we see in Luke 2, 5. Now, an important component of this ketubah would have been the bride price. This was something that would have been haggled over between the two fathers and paid by the groom and his family. It was intended to provide for the bride in the event of the groom's death or divorce. What was included in the bride price varied from marriage to marriage, and it was based upon what a groom and his family could afford or acquire. Typically, the price could have included items such as sheep, cattle, grain, and almost always included money, at least 10 silver coins. In order to pay the bridal price, the groom and his family would often need several years to earn the monies and items necessary to meet their end of the bargain. An example of this is Jacob laboring for 14 years in order to meet the bridal price that Laban had set out for him and his daughters in Genesis chapter 29. 
Now, once they had sacrificed and toiled hard enough to be able to meet the price, the groom would have presented the, the items to the bride's father, who would have immediately passed those items along to his daughter in order to provide her with a safety net should something happen to the marriage. Thus, she would take any animals she received and stick them in her father's pens and put the grain up in his storehouses until after the wedding, when she would then bring those items along with her into her husband's household. Now, since there were no banks at the time, she would have had to have found a way to safely store the money she had received as well. Thus, she would have taken the silver and gold coins that she had received and sewn them into a headdress that she would wear on her wedding day and every day after. You can see a picture of this headdress on the screen above me. Now, this headdress was her way of protecting the money she received. For under Jewish law, it was illegal for anyone to take money from a woman's headdress without her giving it up willingly. Thus, you can imagine how frantically the bride in the parable was searched. If after receiving her bridal price in the days leading up to her wedding day, she begins to start sewing the pieces together for her headdress, only to realize she has lost one of the coins she had just been entrusted with. Or if after sewing the headdress together, she realizes that one of the the coins had fallen off and gone missing. So think about what of a problem this would have been for her. In a culture where money was hard to come by and most operated within a barter system due to their poverty, this would have been seen as a financial catastrophe and a slap in the face culturally, not only to the bride's father who had negotiated the bride price in order to provide for her future, but also to the groom and his family who had sacrificed to pay the price. Therefore, realizing that she had now finds herself in a predicament, she does what anyone who has lost something does. Frantically, she starts to tear apart the room, searching for the missing coin. Tossing pillows and baskets aside, looking under pots and chairs, she would have searched every inch of the house looking for the missing coin until she finds it. And when she finds it, can you imagine the relief that she would have felt? It would have washed over her like a spring rain rain, and been something she would have celebrated with her family and friends. You see, in telling this story, Jesus is painting a picture for the crowd in colors and images they would have understood. After all, everyone has lost something of importance to them at some point in their lives. And that particular crowd could have imagined the stress involved with losing one of those specific coins. For they would have understood the value both monetarily and emotionally that this coin would have carried in their culture. But the story has layers beyond simply losing something and finding it. For what the woman finds is no mere coin of silver. No, this coin means so much more to her than its monetary value because it represents a gift that she did not earn, a gift that she freely received from her husband and father that shows that she is chosen and provided for, that she has both value and worth, and that she is part of a family. This, message is, this is the message Jesus is trying to send the crowd surrounding him. Each of them, regardless of their background and stature in the community, has a life that is of great importance and value to their Father in heaven. For Jesus is about to pay the bride price for each of them, not with coins of silver, but with his own blood. And at the same time, this parable also has another message that the Pharisees and scribes could relate to. You see, for it also parallels the history of the Israelite people of people who have been lost to exile, to calamity, and to their own sinful ways, and yet have been found and redeemed over and over and over again. 
Yes, this chosen people who often had turned away from God's plan was still being diligently pursued after. For just like the story of Hosea from the Tanakh, in which God uses Hosea's marriage to an adulterous prostitute to show the Israelites that he is still pursuing them, God is using the story of the lost coin to show the Pharisees he pursues his people. As he says in Hosea eleven four, For he leads his people with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. That bands of love is a reference to the headdress with the coins. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. This is the hope and the message of the parable that Jesus yearned for the Pharisees and scribes to see. God loves every person so much that he chose to pay our bride price regardless of our background. He sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10 so as we wrap up today and the, begin, and the band begins to make its way back to the stage, I pray that each of you remembers this. First, even if we turn our backs on God, wandering away from the safety of his care, he never stops pursuing us. Second, when you are at your lowest and feeling completely unworthy, God says you are worthy through the blood of his son. And third, no matter what you've done or where you've been, you can be redeemed through Christ. God is searching for each of you and wants to meet you where you are. He wants to show you a grace, peace, hope, and love beyond anything this world can promise. So if you find yourselves today lost in sin, whether you know the voice of your shepherd or not, Jesus is searching for you. If you find yourself today uh, questioning your self-worth, Jesus chooses you to be his own by paying the price for your soul with his blood. And if you decide today is the day that you want to be found, know that Jesus, the angels in heaven, our church body, want to help you along and celebrate this with you. I know that any of our elders, deacons, or volunteers would be happy to talk about this decision with you. Or feel free to talk about it with a trusted friend who you know is following Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you for searching for us when we were lost and gone astray. Thank you for saying we are worthy, even when we don't feel like it. And thank you for constantly pursuing us through every situation. Help us to love those around us with this pursuing love. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.